hostile environment towards me. There was no reason why I was being blamed for things, but I knew the Lord would provide if I if I left. I've been unemployed for most of this time, but I've had some part-time work come my way. It was physically demanding working outside at Six Flags Great America, but um, and also my grandma forgave some debt that I owed her. Um, my parents said I didn't have to pay rent, but what they asked of me was to help with their childcare. My mom babysits my sister's children, so I really felt um, the Lord just speaking gently to me, and while I was taking care of children at home, I felt the Lord just kind of communicating to me how he takes care of us as his children, and, you know, his patience, his his love for us, so I was just encouraged through this whole time. I am believing that this new job I'm starting this Wednesday is going to become a full-time job. Right now it's temporary, two weeks, but I'm believing they'll keep me on. So I wanted to read, I wanted to read a part of Amazing Grace that a lot of people don't hear because they usually end at the fourth verse where doesn't mention Jesus or God yet, just his grace. But the next verse says, the Lord has promised good to me, his word, my hope secures. He will be my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Also, there's a verse Corinthians 2.9, however, it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So we may not see with our eyes the goodness God has prepared for us, but if we believe and trust in our Abba Father, he will bring it about. Lord, I just thank you for everything that you've done for me, and I know you've blessed so many people jobs and you're going to do the same for others who are in need. I just pray that we would welcome you into our hearts this morning as we worship and just rest in your love, Lord, knowing that you're going to take care of us. Amen. Amen. You're good, Jesus. God, we worship you this morning. We thank you that you're faithful, God, that you are kind, that you are good today.
church to worship God, can you just do that right now? Come on, can you lift up your hands before our God? Say, God, I'm not going to hold anything back this morning. Come on, he didn't hold anything back from us on that cross. Come on, let's hold nothing back from him this morning. Come on, we worship you, Jesus. We praise you, Lord. We lift up your name, God. Come on, can you lift up your voice this morning, church? Come on, say, God, I've come to worship you. I've come to worship you, Jesus, in this place, Lord. Nothing's gonna hold me back. Nothing's gonna hold me back. Nothing's gonna hold me back. Nothing, Lord. Nothing's gonna hold me back. Nothing's gonna hold me back. Nothing's gonna hold me back. Tearing through the veil of darkness, breaking every chain you set us free, fighting for the furthest heart you gave your life for all to see. Tearing through the veil of darkness, breaking every chain.
on, is there a heart that's desperate for God to walk with you in this life? Come on, if you're desperate for him, can you just lift up your hands before him? Walk with us, Lord, walk with us. Take us deeper, Lord, than we ever thought we could go deeper with you right now. Come on, if that's your heart, you want to go deep with Jesus. Come on, start speaking in your heavenly language right now. Come on, start speaking in tongues. Come on, let's get our eyes on Christ. Let's get our eyes on the Spirit. Spirit, lead us. Lead us, Lord. Lead us closer to you, God. Jesus, lead me closer. Lead me closer to you, God. Come on, tell him, say, lead me closer to you, Jesus.
Lord, that your spirit, that your very hand is at work, God. Lord, when we look to your creation, when we look outside, we see your hand, God. Lord, when we come into this place and we look at one another, God, we see your very hand at work, Lord. Lord, when we look at our little ones, God, we see your hand at work, God. And Lord, I pray that when we look across this room, God, that we would see your very spirit, your very hand upon the life of every person here. This morning, God, we take a step forward and we look at what your hands, what you are doing in this place, God. And Lord, we stand in awe of your mighty presence. God, we stand in awe of your very creation. God, we stand in awe of your very presence and love, God, that beckons us, God, to take that step, God. Lord, this morning we worship you, God. This morning we love and adore you, God. And we cherish moments like this when we can tarry in your presence, Lord. Father, we welcome you into our very life. We ask that your hand would move and have control. Lord, we thank you for this morning, for this amazing worship. Lord, we thank you for this awesome body of believers, Lord. We thank you, God, for your love and kindness that beckons us to come to you, Lord. And we thank you, God, for this time. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. Hallelujah, Father. I would like to take this time now to dismiss our children. And if you all would just remain standing with me this morning. My name is Leilani. I'm one of the pastors here at Metro Praise. And I want to welcome you this morning into this beautiful time, into this beautiful place of worship. See, the presence of God is here this morning. And this morning, it's the first of the month, and what we like to do here is we like to take communion. And so if I could have all of um, you just with me together, let's just stand. And if I could get my scripture up here, I'm going to share this word with you. See, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26 through 28, this is what it says. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. See, this morning, the presence of God is here. And if this is your first time, and you've never felt what you are feeling now, I want to encourage you and I want to tell you that that is the presence of God. See, this morning, if you are not saved, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, I invite you to accept him. I invite you to repent of your sins because Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, loves you. He gave his very life to save you from a hell which we all deserve. But because of his love, because he gave his body, because he shed his blood, he gave us the opportunity to accept that forgiveness. And so I welcome you to repent this morning of your sin. If you know that you are not living right before God, 
that your life does not please or reflect the word of God, I welcome you to repent this morning. If I can have my ushers prepare to, to share the communion, I want to pray for us this morning. And if we could all just close our eyes across this room. Lord, we ask, God, that you would meet us where we are. Lord, we ask that you would have your way in our lives. God, we repent of our sin. God, of all things that do not please you, everything, God, that goes against your very word. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us of all our sin that you would come into our hearts and that you would change us, Lord, from the inside out, Father. And I pray, Lord, that from this day forward, we will live a life pleasing unto you, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. If you guys can begin to just go ahead and grab your communion. Hallelujah. Just just focus on Jesus this morning. Lord, we love you in this place. We love you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. See, the wafer that we have represents his body this morning. His body that was broken, bruised, and beat. And so this morning, as we take this, just think about what Jesus did for you on that cross. Lord, we thank you for your body that was broken and bruised, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your body that was sacrificed for our salvation, Lord. Lord, we take this in remembrance of you, Father. Lord, we thank you for your body, Lord. You may take your communion. Lord, now we thank you, Father, for your blood that was shed on that cross, Lord. Your blood, God, that poured out for all mankind, Jesus. Your blood that covers and washes us white as snow, God. We thank you for that blood this morning. We thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice. We take this in remembrance of you, Lord. We take this in remembrance of you, God. When you're ready, you may take the grape juice. We love you, God. And we thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice. We thank you for times of these, Lord, where we can get into your presence, Lord, and recount, Lord, what you've done for us, what you've done to bring us here, Lord. Lord, it is not by our own strength that we are here today, God. But it is because of your love, God, because of your sacrifice that we can stand in your presence, Lord. Lord, we thank you, Father. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts, Lord, this morning. We ask, God, that you would continue to lead and guide us in all that we say and do. And that you would be with us, God. Be with us the rest of this morning, Lord, as we get into the word today, Lord. Just continue to minister and speak to our hearts. Hallelujah. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said amen. Amen. And everybody, we will now prepare to confess our confession of faith. Everybody here knows that we hold this to be true. This is what we stand upon. This is what we believe.
And so if you are with me, but say this on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world. The Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. And go ahead and just greet one another this morning. Say hello to your neighbor.
and welcome everybody to Metro Praise International who's excited to be here today. Give your last high five. Look to your neighbor say, it's good to see you this morning. Look to your other neighbor say, thank you for coming. On behalf of the leaders here, we want to say thank you so much for coming to join us. We are honored that you chose Metro Praise International to uh, worship the Lord with us. So welcome. Our, we have two main services here at Metro Praise. Our first one is on Sundays at 10 a.m. And then Elevate Fridays at 7 p.m. That's for our youth service for ages 11 to 18. Please bring your teenagers on by if they're in that age group. And they will just have a blast. They're winning their high schools, being radical for the Lord. So we are raising up the next generation. Amen. If this is your first time here, we'd like to welcome you. So let's welcome all the first-time visitors. Let's clap it up this morning. Thank you for joining us. If you did not receive this brochure at the door when you walked in, our ushers will hand one to you. If you could just fill out the bottom portion and uh, just tear it up, and then you could put it in the drop box in the back. We'd love to connect with you throughout the week and welcome you to our church. Our vision here is very simple. It's loving God and loving people. The two greatest commandments Jesus told his disciples to live by. How many of you guys think that's pretty easy? If you're right with God, it should be easy. Loving God, loving people with everything inside of us. And then our discipleship strategy is threefold. Somebody say connect, mentor, send. And the way we want to connect you to the church, connect you to Jesus is through our life groups. Say life groups. In the back of your handouts, you have our schedule of our life groups for this quarter. You can pick one to belong to. We have ministry-based and special needs-based. So find one that meets your needs, your schedule, your time in your life, whether you're single, you're married, you're a, you're a youth, and plug in. And we want to give you a snapshot of just what is happening this week. So this week is very busy. There's a lot going on. So you guys ready? Sunday, today, we have our worship team. It's our 201ers, deacons and elders meeting at 1230. Then on Tuesday, we have our Righteously Redeemed Elevate Life Group. They're meeting here at the church at 6 p.m. Then again on Tuesday, also that same day, we have our single ladies. 18 years and up. So if you are single, you are not married. If you have a boyfriend, this still means you're single. So this means not married. So if you are not married and you are a young lady in uh, 18 and up, you want to go to Woodfield Mall that Tuesday, okay? 7 p.m. All the single beautiful ladies are coming together, and they're going to just love on each other and love on Jesus. Wednesday, we have our King's Kids Life Group. Every week, we meet here for infant to 11 years old, 630. It's our Royal Rangers and Impact kind of Boy Scout, Girl Scouts for the little kids, okay? Thursday, our uh, The Resistance Elevate Life Group, 11 to 18. Two adult Bible studies on Fridays happening at both 7 p.m. with child care. One at the Govea's, one at the Walker's house. And Saturday, evangelism. Somebody make some noise evangelism we want to go on the streets you meet here at 5 p.m at the church and you go and preach the gospel on the streets how many of you guys want to do that come on how many of you guys have been doing that come on we have been seeing the pictures i just want to applaud the uh, life group the evangelism life group and rudy for taking those pics you guys are rocking it out for just winning the city for christ and those powerful uh, pictures tell the whole story we want to win chicago for jesus amen and then after we connect you, we want to mentor you. We want to take you through our 101 and our 201. Our 101 is welcome to your new life. We have leaders ready to take you through this book to disciple you. And when you're done with this, you go to the 201 class, Disciples That Make Disciples. This is our leadership training where we train you up 
to one day be an elder or a deacon in our church. And then we want to send you out to win the world for Jesus. And our goal here at MPI is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and then 500 around the world. If you believe we could do that, say amen. Praise the Lord. Together we can make it happen. Teamwork makes the dream work. Let's say that. Teamwork makes the dream work. And you are all a part of that dream. Amen. Let's prepare to um, learn about our tithes and offerings this morning. We are on section four of the giving book. And today I'm going to be going over lesson two. If you could please turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs 18.9. We're going to be reading Proverbs 18.9. And today's lesson is on overcoming laziness. Well, here's the definition of a hindrance. A hindrance is something that prevents us from being obedient to God's commands. And if you just think about that for a moment, some of you might think to yourself, well, I think I have more than one hindrance. So we want to get rid of those hindrances so that we could follow God's commands to the fullest. And today we're talking about the hindrance of laziness. So let's read Proverbs 18.9. One who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. Here are the main points, three main points from that passage of Scripture that we can learn from. Number one, lazy in work. The Bible clearly teaches that if a man doesn't work, they shouldn't eat. Second Thessalonians 3.10. Therefore, every able-bodied adult should work, whether inside or outside of the home, to support themselves and their family. That's pretty self-explanatory. You don't work, you don't eat. Take it or leave it. Get right or get left. But it's right. It's true. Number two, lazy in obedience. The Bible is also very clear that God's commands should be obeyed immediately and not postponed to a more convenient time. This includes obeying his commands to give tithes and offerings. It's never going to be the right time for you to start giving your tithes. The time is now. Because like I've said before, if you cannot tithe of $100 and give how much? The $10 when it comes time and you get blessed and you get $1,000, you will not be able to give the 100 And then you get blessed some more and you, you have $10,000 and you got to tithe off of 10000 If you have been lazy and if this has not been a discipline to you, you will not be able to tithe the 1000 to the Lord. And God wants all of you. And we have to be obedient to what his commands say. And it's never going to be convenient if you don't do it now. It's going to be a sacrifice unto him. And guess what? When we give and we put him first, there's always going to be more than enough eventually because God is going to meet our needs. When we do not tithe, if you've ever noticed, and I've heard the testimonies, it's just never enough. It's, we're always short. It's just, I, I, I need this money for this bill. I need this money for that bill. It's never enough. But with God, everything's more than enough. Number three, laziness is brother to destruction. If we choose to be lazy rather than hardworking and obedient to God, we will suffer destruction in this life and the one to come. So we do not want to suffer destruction in this life and the one to come. We want to be right with God and we want to be with him forever and eternity. Say amen. Here's a summary. Overcome laziness with hard work and obedience to God. How many of you guys want to be hard workers and obedient to the Lord? Come on, that is us this morning. Let's apply this. Number one, be faithful in giving your tithes, which is 10% of your total income, and your offerings, which is anything you give after your tithe. Number two, repent if you have been lazy in your work or your obedience to God. We have to get that right. We've got to get things in order. Number three, ask God to give you his strength to do all things, including your job, for his glory. 
please stand up with me this morning as we confess this powerful uh, word over our life, over our finances, over our jobs, because we want to thank you, MPI, for your generosity. We want to thank you for being obedient to the Lord in your tithe, because we cannot do this without you. We want to win Chicago for Jesus, and we want to win the nations for the Lord. And God requires all of us, our material possessions, our finances, our heart, our soul, our strength, everything we do is for the Lord, because from him, everything came to us. Amen. So let's recite this on the count of three. One, two, three. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the word of God, I will not be hindered by greed, laziness, unbelief, discouragement, or fatigue in my giving to God. I will overcome bitterness, impatience, pride, fear, idolatry, and live a life of obedience in my finances. Come on, Lord. We want to be blessed in our finances. And so at this time, we're going to prepare to receive our tithes and offerings. And as you prepare that on your envelope, please make sure you put the amounts on each section of the envelope, whether it's the tithe. And then for your offering, you can mark it towards the missions or the building fund. And that's how we designate an offering so we know where it should go. And I just want to give you guys a report for our missions trip to the Philippines next year. We raised $1,886 just in October. Give yourselves a hand clap. That is amazing, amazing, amazing. So we, our goal last January, actually last December, we started preparing you guys. We're almost at the end of that time. Last December, we started preparing you, and we started saying, pray. Let the Lord give you an amount of what to give. In January, the first Sunday in January, we started giving. And up to this point, you guys have been faithful to your pledges to the Lord, and we have raised $16,887 with only 3000 113 left to the end of December. Come on. Jesus is good. You guys have been faithful. We cannot do this without you. So we believe by God's grace, your generosity, your obedience to the Lord, we are going to get the 20,000 plus and then some flowing over to what we want to accomplish in the Philippines next summer, 2015. So thank you for partnering with us. It's not over yet. We got all of November, all of December. Let's rock it out for Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's recite this together as we prepare to give. Acts 20, 35. The Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your presence in our life, God. We thank you for your prosperity. We thank you that you are with us, that you want us to be blessed, God, for your protection, your salvation. And we just give this service to you. We give this time of offering, God, to you. We thank you for every tither, every giver in this place. I pray that you prosper them, that you bless them, that you give them raises, that you open doors of employment for them, God, so that we could further your kingdom on this earth, God, because when we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, all these things that we need will be added onto us. You take care of every detail of our lives. We thank you, God. Let our budget be met for this month. Let us continue to win souls, make disciples, or raise up leaders for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Please come forward as you give this morning.
Simone, if you're ready to learn about your identity in Christ, make some noise. Let me hear a woo woo. Amen. Look to your neighbor and say, let's get this party started. <laughs> I know the party's already going, but uh, I want to keep it going on and on and on because there ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because the Holy Ghost party don't. One more time, then there ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because the Holy Ghost party don't. Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Some of you may be like, man, why does pastor come up excited every week? Well, all you have to do is stand where I'm standing. You'll get excited. If you got to see all the beautiful people as I do, you would be excited too. Amen. And, of course, it's time for Jesus. Can I get a little more mic here as well? Uh, just every week is like my Super Bowl. And too bad the Bears aren't on their way to the Super Bowl right now. We need to pray for them. So don't rush out to try to watch their games. There's nothing happening except getting spadanged across the field. Okay? But how many want to see them win a game? Amen. Amen. So come to church and pray for them. Come to church and pray for them. Amen. Uh, I just heard the weirdest fact, or read rather, today on the Chicago Tribune. They packed out Soldier Stadium with a rugby game. Did you all hear about that? Rugby may be coming to a, uh, a high school or uh, sporting stadium uh, soon, so we may be cheering rugby. How many would cheer on a rugby team? Two of you. Okay. Maybe it's not coming too soon. We are in the middle of a series learning about our identity in Christ. Last week's message is free online. You can check it out. We learned about knowing who you are last week. So last week I really wanted to give an introduction to this whole series and help you to understand there's really only two types of people in the world. What are they? Sinners and saints. Only two types of people. Those who have been born again, they're saints of God, and those who still are sinners under the judgment of God. Did we establish that in the scripture? Can I hear an amen? Okay, so that's there. You can go back and check it out. As always, our notes are online. Even today's message is online, uh, mpichurch.org. Now today I want to give you the theology of you, the theology of your soul, or another way of saying it, soulology. Look at your neighbor and say, get your soulology. On. So today I want to give you this theology about God and information that he put in his word towards your soul. Now I would assume that most of you believe you have a soul and that you're not an inanimate object like a rock. How many believe you're not a rock? And how many believe you're not just an animal like a dog or a cat? How many believe there's something special about you, right? And we call that the soul, the inner person. And if I ever say in this sermon the inner man or speak about the man. Please, women, don't take that the wrong way. I'm just speaking in the theological sense of man being Adam. When Adam was created, he was called Adam, and then the human race, mankind, was also called Adam. So that's why we speak of mankind. It's nothing against women. It goes back theologically. I don't know if you all know that, but that's the twofold uh, definition of Adam, okay? So all the women go, amen, because hey, I love my women uh, in a godly way. Had to, that was, as it was coming out of my mouth, I was chasing that statement down. The statement was, I love my women of Metro Prince. And as that was leaving my mouth, I was chasing it with in Christ, okay? So, so just look at your neighbor and say he loves you with the love of Jesus, okay, which is a holy and a pure love. I'm happily married. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Okay, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If you're there, can you say I'm there? 
It's also up on the screen. This is a powerful uh, scripture. Many of you have learned it, especially if you've been saved in this church. You've learned it in our 101 class. We teach this, uh, that this is who God made you to be, and this would be your confession. This is what Christianity is all about. Christianity is not about behavior modification. It's not just about making New Year's resolutions. Christianity is about being born again like Christ, being born again into the image of God. He once made us perfect in his image because of sin. We were born sinners and lived in sin. But because of being born again, we're brought back into that image, starting here, waiting for it to come here to our physical body. Amen? That's why the resurrection of Jesus was so important. He not only just died for sins, but he rose again, defeating the power over the grave so that one day, yes, our souls and spirits are saved now, but one day our body will be saved. You're going to get a new glorified body. Amen? I'm going to be a size 32 waist, puffed out chest, praise God, glistening in the glory of God. Amen. Okay, look at this. I'm just teasing. Here we go. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Paul is speaking here to the Corinthian people, and he gives them this precious promise about what God has done in their life, this, this special word. Look at it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. And if you're from the hood, you can say, right, cheer. Everybody say, right, cheer. Okay, so we're just going to pretend we're from the hood right now, even though I'm from the burbs. But I like to pretend. Ain't nothing wrong with that. It's right here. So where is the new person? Right here. Point to your heart. Point to your soul where it's at when we're talking about our inner person. Look at the New Living Translation. We normally read out the NIV. Here is the New Living Translation, NLT, just to give you a better definition. Because I think creation, sometimes we don't understand what is a creation. What does it mean I'm a new creation? How about this? This qualifies that word. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. A new what? Person. The old, come on, the old what? The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Woo, does that get you excited this morning? Man, that gets me excited. That puts a pep in my step, amen? I get excited when I hear that. How can we as Christians continue in sin and defeat knowing that God has promised us this? Now, yes, as Christians, we may sin, we may mess up, but that should not be our identity. This is who God said we were when we were born again, and that's who we are right now. Come on, somebody say, ahora. Right now, I'm a new person. Right now, I have a new life. If you have come to Jesus Christ right now, you are a new creation. Right now, you are a new person. Right now, you have a new life. Is new, and the definition, when we think of I'm going to give you a new car, when you think of a new car in your mind, do you think of a beat-up 88 Buick coming down the road? Like if you were on a game show and they say, you want a new car, and they just pull up the veil, would you expect to see like some old Volkswagen from 78? No, you would expect to see something brand new, something that doesn't have any miles on it, something where the tires still have the full tread on them, where the engine isn't dirty yet, and you get into that car, shut the door, and what's the first thing you want to do in a new car? Smell the new smell of a car, right? That new car smell. 
that's new. You're not going to get into that car and, 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 and smell somebody else's bad deodorant and smell somebody else's pets that used to be in there. When we talk about new person, a new you, a new life, are we talking about a you in Christ that's still dirty, rotten, and a sinner? Is that what Jesus says? Now that you're in Christ, you're still a dirty, rotten sinner on the inside. And yet you're trying so hard like a little chugga-chugga-choo-choo to do better. And, and whenever you mess up, God just kicks you to the curb and, and he sends you over there to the junkyard because that's just what you are. Now, some Christians think that way. There's, there's two false beliefs here. Uh, the first belief is a, a first false belief is of non-Christians not thinking they need to be born again. There's some people who just think, I'm a good person, I don't need to get born again. And they haven't come to Christ. And they're not understanding that the sin they have committed by God's definition have placed them in the category of sinner. They may say, I don't sin like other people do, but they're not comparing themselves to the right standard. The standard they need to compare themselves to is Jesus Christ. So compared to Jesus Christ, are we all sinners? If Jesus is perfect and you're not, are you then a sinner compared to Christ? Okay, so that doesn't mean what religion, religion doesn't change that. Uh, It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter, like I said, what sins you did or did not commit. So the first false belief that people have is, I don't need to be born again. And we talked about that last week, and that is a lie. Every single person needs to get born again. Can I hear an amen? Thank you. The second false belief is that now when Christians get born again, they live under this condemnation and guilt, which is from the devil, which is from a low self-esteem or a low God esteem, and they begin to think, well, I've come to Jesus, but yet every now and then I sin, so that must mean Jesus really didn't make me a new creation. I must be part sinner and part saint. And the sad part about this is, is this kind of theology, it is actually a theology, it's crept into the church, and Christians have believed this, that they think that God somehow did not complete the work of salvation on the inside of them, so they're walking around thinking it's cute and humble to say, well, I'm a sinner, and I just can't help myself, but God loves me. And and we get this jacked up mentality of what the road of righteousness is supposed to look like. The Bible says that in Psalm 23, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? He does these great things for me. But what does it say? He leads me in paths of righteousness. We start thinking that the path of righteousness is like some coal train, uh, the, you know, being on, uh, in a coal mine on this little buggy with dirt all over our face in a dirty, in a dirty cave, and that's the path of righteousness, Like, we think that's the Christian life. Like, I'm a dirty little sinner, but Jesus loves me. And here I am on my little pathway of sanctification, and I'm dirty and I'm filthy, and everybody else is dirty and filthy because we're all not perfect. We're all just sinners. But Jesus loves us. So some people think of, like, their Christian walk being a a, a dirty coal miner. And I love coal miners because we have coal from them, so I'm not calling them a dirty person. I'm just saying they're dirty in their physical body. You guys get the image. Put up a, an image. Find one on Google, please, of a dirty coal miner. Anybody remember Zoolander, the black lung? <clears throat> this is what I'm talking about, a coal miner. And, and we just think to ourselves, well, when Jesus said I'm a new creation, that, that means when I get to heaven I'm a new creation. Or when Jesus said I'm a new creation, that, that means on the days I act good. Because the days I don't act good, I'm not a new creation. 
See, two false beliefs. There's people that think that they don't need to get born again. False belief. Everybody has to get born again. And then there's people who think once they've been born again, they really haven't been born again. What does Jesus say? What does the Bible say? The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. If anyone belongs to Jesus, the new life has come. When does it start? Everybody say now. Now look at this, dirty coal miner. Is that you on your way to heaven? And, and we could just call the dirt and the filth. He is a handsome man, though, isn't he? He is a handsome man. Thank you for finding this steed of a man. That's a, that's a man's man there. Okay, now if we just take this illustration, it's like Jesus is my little light. There's Jesus. He's my little light. And, and I'm on my little pathway to heaven, but it's so dark and scary because I'm in this dark, deep coal mine, right? And, and I got my Jesus. I got my little light. I got my little light right here. And, and, and I'm, and I'm going to make it somehow through the darkness. But yet I'm dirty. I'm dirty. I'm filthy because I got sin in my life. And I can't get over pornography if I'm a man. Or I can't get over gossip. And I can't get over greed. And I can't get over selfishness. And so I'm just so dirty and filthy. And the only hope that I have, watch, the only hope, taking this example, the only hope that I have is that the train crashes and I die. Because then Jesus will clean me up and bring me to heaven. We make death our savior. So when does the Christian become clean? When they die. When does the Christian become a new creation? When they die. So now instead of worshiping Jesus, instead of saying he's our Lord and Savior, it's almost like we're fanatical with death. Well, I just can't wait to die because then I'll be beautiful. Jesus will clean me up and give me a bath. Is that what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17? Please turn there with me again. Look at the notes. Thank you for the illustration. It doesn't say I become a new creation when I die. It doesn't say... My new life begins when this life ends. It doesn't say that I'm half new and half old. It says when I'm in Christ, I am new. When you are in Christ, the new life has begun. You're not trying to renovate your life. You're not like a sculpture that I've seen on some pastor's uh, desk where they have a, uh, a, a, a glass beautiful image coming out of the rock, and the rock is still there at the bottom. See if you can find that image for me, the new man coming out of the rock. See if you can find that, because I've seen this on some pastor's desk where they have like a chisel sculptor, and there's something beautiful coming out of like his dirt legs right here. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Don't lie if you don't. It's okay just to tell me I'm out of my mind right now, but this is an example, and I want you to see this, and that's how we think. We think like, you know what, God's still working on me. He's just chiseling away on me. Is that what it says right there in the new creation? Does God say he is continually, continually, day after day, making you a new creation? And then right when he gets done with you, he, let's say he starts with the, uh, uh, the, the fingers. So he's going to start with your fingers, make it down to your arms, then to your head, then down to your body. And then right when he gets to the last part of your toe, bing, he says, now you're going to die and go to heaven. Is that what it says? So you are in the process of becoming a new creation, sculpted every day. Is that what it says? New creation begins now. New life begins now. Boom. The Picasso is painted now. The sculpture is made now. The work is done now. You're saved now. You're a new creation now. 
Now, guess what this does? This will get some people real excited. You know why? Because they actually want to live a new life. So you'll have two reactions to what I'm saying. I got all the theology coming here. You can read the notes. I go into a lot of depth in this note, uh, this sermon, by the way, by the notes. But, but listen, there's two types of reactions. There's, there's one that's going to get excited because they're, they're going to say, yes, I want to live a new life. This is good news because God keeps his word. And then there's another group of people here today. You're actually going to be upset. Oh, my goodness, I can't make that excuse anymore for my sin. Because I've been wanting to live half new, half old, and I just thought if I looked at it that way through the Bible, then I could get away with it. Oh, shucks. I don't have an excuse anymore. Oh, snickerdoodles. I, I, I can't make this excuse for my sin anymore. God actually made me new. So when I choose to do something that's outside of that character, I can't blame it on God. I can't blame it on salvation and say, well, you know, if he just took me out of this body and took me up to heaven, then I would be clean. If he just took me out of the dirty old coal mine. No. You see, I want to talk to all of you who want to throw a pity patty party for yourself. Stop that. It's time for you to know who you are in Christ. Now, for many of you, this is a new revelation. It is like right now you are reading this verse for the first time because many of you have. This is the first time you've ever heard it. But for others of you, this is a truth that either you knew and forgot or never knew. And I'm asking you to look at the scripture again as if you had never read it or been taught wrong. And just ask yourself this question. Ask yourself this question. If the microphone was in your hand right now, and I don't care if you've been in church 20 years, 30 years, 100 years, whatever, if you're 120 up in here, okay? I just want to put the mic in your hand and just ask you, what does that mean? You're a new creation. Life starts now. The old is gone. What does that mean? Is there a poetic sense to that, or is it an actual, factual statement? If you can't get it, that's okay, but scroll up for me to Ezekiel 36, 26. Do you know that this was a promise in the Old Testament, that this is actually what God would do? That religion was looked at in the Old Testament, like what I do for God and how I please God and these laws that I keep on behalf of uh, my relationship with God. But Ezekiel made this promise that God was going to do through Christ in the New Testament. So this is the Old Testament. Jesus separates the old and the new. He's the intercovenantal Messiah. There's a big word for you. And he fulfills it through the teachings of Paul and his life. So Paul's telling you Christ did it. But look, look at the promise. Here it is, Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Is that what Jesus promised to do? Is that what it means to be born again? Or has this prophecy not been fulfilled? If you look at what Paul is saying, Paul is saying it's done now. What the Old Testament people looked for, it's happened. Old Testament people were not born again. Old Testament people were not inwardly transformed. They were not the temple of the Holy Spirit. They had to go to a temple. They had to go to a place that was clean and perfect and all of that. But they were not clean and perfected on the inside. It was when Jesus died, rose again, that enabled us to be born again, to be sanctified, to be made holy, to be made perfect on the inside. What do you think Jesus meant when he said this? Listen to this. Be ye perfect, for your heavenly Father is perfect. Did he say, be jacked up because your heavenly Father is jacked up? 
Did he say, start a process of transformation because your heavenly Father is on a process of transformation? He said, be ye perfect now, present tense, because present tense, your Father is perfect. It is the same concept that was mentioned in the Old Testament, also reiterated by Peter when it says, be holy, for he is holy. It didn't say be part unholy, be part holy. No, it said be holy, for I am holy. Now, how many of you would say, just right off the bat, we don't need a show of hands, but just in your heart, affirm this. How many would say, um, in your heart right now, you believe this? Okay? I mean, like I said, I don't need the amens, but that's awesome. But I just, I just want you to look in your heart right now. Listen to what I just said here. You're a new creation. It starts now. Salvation has been perfected. You've been made a new person. You're holy. You're uh, uh, the person that God wants you to be right now. Do you believe that? If you don't, I want you to study these notes thoroughly this week, and I want you to talk to one of our leaders and if you've been taught differently or you've been, uh, you, know, th- you know, thought of things differently, I want you to bring those questions up. And at the end of the day, don't take my word for it or another pastor's word for it. I want you to study it out and come to an answer of what you think Jesus is talking about. What do you think the Bible's talking about? So now I want to give you the theology of you. Are you all ready? Okay, let's scroll down through these notes because I got some goodies to talk about here today. You are not your flesh. Though you have been born again in your inner man, you still live in a body that has evil desires. Now, this is the part that people get confused about is, why is it even though I've been made new as a Christian, do I still have evil desires? The Bible does not call this another you, though. The, body calls, uh, the Bible calls this a body of death that you live in. Turn with me quickly to Romans 7.24. And think of it like this as you're turning to Romans 7.24. When you get hungry, are you your stomach? Think about that. Have you ever got hungry before? Anybody here ever have been hungry before? Okay, yeah. When you got hungry, did, did you say, uh, I'm hungry, and you took on that identity, right? You go, I'm hungry, probably something like that. But in actuality, are you your stomach? So what you're doing is you're saying something that makes sense in a colloquial way as we talk about things. Yes, you are hungry. But are you your stomach? I know it's a tough question. It's like when we get all deep, we get so deep we forget simple stuff. Am I my stomach? I don't know. Okay, let's imagine we weren't talking about deep stuff. And I just asked you like a normal question, like out, like on the, whatever we're doing. Like what are we doing? Golfing. Let's pretend we're golfing, okay? It's the first example that came to my mind. And, I just, and, and, and you say, I'm hungry. And I look at you and I go, are you your stomach? What would, your, what would you say back to me? No, I'm not my stomach, but I'm, my stomach's hungry, right? You, you, you would differentiate your statement. I would understand it, but if I asked you to be specific, you would differentiate it very quickly, right? Are you your stomach? No, I'm not my stomach. So my, technically, pastor, my stomach is hungry. Now, why does that matter? Why does that matter? Because in the Bible, people are making theological statements that are incorrect, just like the I'm hungry statement because their stomach is hungry. People are saying, I'm a sinner because my body has a desire for sin. You see how that example comes in right there? Okay, yeah, you had a desire to sin. You're a Christian. We get that. But are you your desire? Are you your body? Hmm, that's deep. Is it making sense yet? Look at the scripture, Romans 7, 24. 
Romans 7.24, look at what it says clearly about your body. Paul is speaking. What a, this is before he was born again. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Who's going to rescue my soul and spirit from this cage that I live in, this body that has sexual desires, anger desires, when my wife is uh, uh, having her, pre- uh, not her pregnancy, but uh, having her women issue, she got crazy anger desires, passion desires, right? Why do these desires come into our body? It's getting hot up here. Can I get a, oh, I, this is a good time. Berto, can I get my sweat rag? I love you, boo. And a water, please. Woo, gets hot up here for a preacher. But let, let's just, just think about that. When my body gets hungry, I'm not my body. Have you ever noticed, ladies, you can have a good day and then your emotions go, whoop, they just go cray-cray like that? And then your husband or your friend or your mom has to ask you what time of the month it is? What, what's going on? Are you feeling a little bloated? Is, 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 there's stuff going on? How many, how many fellas know the moment you miss a few meals, you're like that Snickers commercial. You're crazy. The bigger I have gotten, the more my body yearns for food. You would think like right now my body would be like, Joe, we're good. We're good. You got enough to last, uh, you know, through a couple cold winters in Alaska, you know. I've stored my blubber. Thank you, sir. Let's give it up for the brother helping out. Thank you. So... But, 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 but why does my body still want food? Because it has that desire. But I'm not my body. I need to control my body. Uh, when, when my wife is going through that time of the month, I have to tell her, that's not you, babe. You actually love me. You, you like me. We're friends, remember? Remember the because it's always like little stuff. So I like to slap her on her on her on her booty, like like I love you. And like most of the time, it's like, yeah, stop. But if it's like that time of the month, it's like, stop. Stop it right now, knife comes out. I will stop you if you don't stop. And I have to remind her. I have to remind her. I'd be like, like, baby, you love me, remember? This is not you. This is not you right now. And, and the sad thing is, many of us have had friends who have dealt with mental illnesses, uh, you know, chemical imbalances, and you'll see it happen in their life, and, and you're literally telling them that this is not you. We're going to help you get medication. Your, your, your body, your chemicals are, are not acting right. This is not you. And see, we understand that in normal life. You're not your stomach. You're, you're not that growling uh, body that needs food. You can control that. But when it comes to theology, we now want to say, well, I'm my body, and I'm a sinner. My body wants sin. So God and I, we got an agreement. This is my agreement between me and God. I'm a sinner. He's a Savior. I keep sinning. He keeps forgiving. That's the agreement me and God got. And if you look at other religions, it's the same thing. Me and God got this agreement. I'll pray this many times a day. God will forgive this many sins. I go to the priest and say this, then God forgives me like this. But is that the life that God called us Christians to have? No, he called us to be saints. He called us to be holy. And so Paul cries out here, as the sinner does, who will, will rescue me from this wretched body of death? Look at the next verse. Thanks be to God, gloria Dios, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So am I delivered through this, to this, from this body of death? Yes. Does the Lord say, when he, did he ask you to pray like this? 
a father, bring me into temptation, and when I'm there, please forgive me. Now, what does the Lord's Prayer say? Lead me not into temptation. Lead me not there. Deliver me from there. Deliver me, Jesus, from there. Is everybody getting that? Do you guys want to see it one more time? Go with me to James chapter 1. Mentioned it last week. It's, it's, it's good to repeat again. James chapter 1, I believe it's in verse 16. Gentlemen, uh, you can find it for me. I don't have the exact reference. As they're going to James chapter 1, remember this. When you're born again, you are made a new person on the inside. It is because of that that you can live different. It is because of that that you can conquer sin. If you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside in a new you, all you're trying to do is renovate your life, and your renovation will never become brand new. It will never be new. If someone said, here is a car from 1956, no matter how many new things they did to it, no matter how much they put into it, if it still has that frame and still has that engine, can you call it a new car? Even if they make it look pretty like a 1958 Chevy or something, it's still not a new car. Did Jesus say he renovates your life and makes it kind of look new, or did it say he makes you brand new? So even if you think of yourself in Christianity, well, I'm not that bad, and I'm not as bad as I used to be, you're still thinking the wrong way. You are either a sinner or you are a saint. I don't care how nice you make that 58 Chevy. It is still a Chevy that was made in 1958. Jesus wants to give you a 2015 brand new model. Amen. Look at this right here. In James chapter 1, verse 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. What did Paul call that? His sinful body. He said, who will deliver me from this sinful body? What did Jesus say? Lead me not into temptation. So if we're all supposed to be sinners, and this is part of the agreement we got with God, then why does God actually want us to pray against temptation? Why does God actually expect us to stay out of temptation? And if temptation is who I am already, then why does God speak to me as if I'm not that, and he wants me to avoid that? You see, these are the kinds of questions that the old way of thinking or some ways of traditional thinking is not going to cut it in the Bible. Let's go back to our notes. I want to give you a theology of you that's in the Bible, not what some man taught you to make you feel better or to take you. uh, And actually, it's not a better. See, some people may think, well, I would rather believe I'm half sinner and half saint so I can just keep living a jacked up life. That's really not the best way that God wants you to live. So really, this is the best way. Can I hear an amen to that? I want you to think about this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, let's turn there quickly. You may see that your body has desires for sex, physical addictions, bad memories stored in the brain. How many know your body will die and your brain will stay here, but your mind will still go to heaven? Does anybody believe that? Do you think we're brain dead? In, uh, do you think, rather, we don't have thoughts in heaven? If we have thoughts in heaven and our brain is here, what do we have that, that the brain doesn't have? A mind, a soul. 
The definition, we're going to get to it here at the end, but the definition that the Bible gives of a soul is really your mind, will, and emotions. It's this inner person of who you are. And, and the definition the Bible gives of your spirit is really this life force that gives life. And, and the Bible considers this to be who you are and you're here in this body. Now look at the way Paul said it right here. And tell me if this is a, a way that you would think as a Christian because I think we can identify with this even if you had never been taught this. Listen, it says, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed... We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. How many believe that God has another building for your soul to live in? See, when he says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you, mansions, yes, that can mean literal buildings, but he's also talking about a a literal mansion of a body, a resurrected body. That is the place you will live in. How do I know that? Because he calls the body you have now an earthly tent, and in comparison, he says, but God has an eternal house in heaven. So am I really just looking for a a brick mansion to live in? No, I'm looking for a new body to live in. Now, how do I know that? Meanwhile, we groan longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. How many of you since being born again, you long to have a new body? Not just because you don't like the way it looks in the mirror, but you know that this body of death is a source of temptation. You know this is not who you are, but these temptations follow you. You have memories in your brains, uh, uh, your brain of things you don't ever want to do or think about again. But yet your brain will replay it like a broken record. And you're saying, why does my brain still have this? Well, your brain has a source of memory. And they'll tell you they can do all these things with your brain and show you this is where your memory is. This is where this is. But you are saying, I don't want to live by that. I don't want to have that. I want to live the life of God. Why do you feel that struggle? Because you're in a body of death. Now, why is this body a death, a a body of death? Because when we sin, the Bible says you shall surely die, not only spiritually. We always talk about that in this church, that when they ate of the, 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 uh, the tree of knowledge and good of evil, that inside they died, right? We talk about that. They were cut off from God. They knew they were then naked. But the part that we always skip over, which is good to bring up here, is that the body began to die. Death came into their body. So why are you here right now? Because God said, I came to die on the cross to make you new here first. The kingdom of God here first. And then when your body dies, it has to die. It has to face its punishment. You will be with him in heaven, and then he will make you a heavenly dwelling, a new body to have forever. Come on, let that sink in right now. That's pretty deep, isn't it? Your body has to die so that this you can be released from it and be given a new heavenly body. So how are we to live here on this earth as strangers? Not just strangers to the planet, but strangers to our very own body. We are saying, body, you are a tent, but I don't really belong here. I got a new address in heaven. I'm already spiritually seated with Christ in heavenly places, and I'm just waiting for my new body to come where my spirit and soul are. You see, you read a scripture like that in Ephesians, and it will blow your mind unless you got the right kind of theology about your soul. See, in Ephesians, it says you're seated now in heavenly places with Christ. Well, I'm seated on this stool. I'm seated on that chair, you might be thinking, right? So how can I be in heaven? See, you're not understanding your spirit is with Christ, and where your spirit is, Christ is, and where Christ is, you are. 
So what am I waiting for? I'm waiting for a body that matches my spiritual location, my spiritual destination, my spiritual identity. This is who I am. So I may be groaning here. I may be suffering that temptation here. But then God also offers me a plan of escape, a way of conquering so that this flesh he calls death can be counted as dead. And where do I count it as dead at? On the cross. Go to Galatians chapter 5. If you're getting excited, say amen. amen. It's deep, but it ain't that deep, right, baby? Come on. It may be a little bit deep, but you, you got those little b- b- balloon little things on you right here? What are those little things called? Floaties. You got little floaties on you? Because we're going deep, but it ain't that deep. You can handle this. Look at your neighbor and say, this is just the introduction. We haven't, tell your other neighbor, we haven't even got to the slides yet. I got slides to show you. I got all types of stuff. I actually have in here a whole exegesis of the book of 1 Peter. It is there, trust me. We didn't even got time to go through the whole book of 1 Peter, but it's there. How many think Peter knew who Jesus was? How many think Peter knew something about what Jesus taught? It's an important book to understand, but we'll get to it. Just take your time. Go to uh, Galatians chapter 5. Go all the way there to the bottom. We see the flesh versus the spirit, which is exactly this kind of dynamic I've been talking about. But now look at it here at the end of that discussion. The fruit of the spirit is what? Everybody say it. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That body of death, even though I'm carrying it with me, has been crucified with Christ. So I may have desires in this body. I may have these passions, but they are crucified. Now do you understand why sin is such a contradiction to the believer's life? Jesus looks at a believer who sins as a walking contradiction. Literally, it's a walking contradiction. He, he, you just imagine you and God having a conversation, and this will blow your mind. Ishua will like this. In my time of preparation for this sermon, I went through these things for months. You know, I'm always a forward thinker. So while we were doing the Hot Topic sermon series, uh, those sermons were already done. They were basically done. I had to just write them because I had already thought it through. But during the whole Hot Topic sermon series, every Sunday, I'm walking around my house, you know, during the week as well, and I'm planning out these messages, and I actually wanted to do a soliloquy. I wanted to do, I never told my wife this, I wanted to actually do a soliloquy, which is a one-person play. Some of you may just think this is cray-cray, but this was actually in my mind. Because for Easter, I did a soliloquy a long time ago in this church where I acted out in front of a congregation like this what it would be like if you met Jesus on Judgment Day. And I, and I talk about this experience from the Bible, what it would be like. And literally, I was thinking, and I still may do it because we got a lot of weeks left here. God may say, do it, you know. I literally wanted to have a soliloquy. I have it in my mind. I have it all documented, like in my brain, how I would do it, of what a conversation would be like between you and Jesus about yourself. About if you could talk to Jesus right now about yourself, And here's the thing. I would not have to put any words into Jesus' mouth. I could just use Jesus' words, and he would blow your mind about how he thinks about you. Seriously. Seriously. I could just use the scriptures and just get it that point across. Now, some of you want me to do this, but this is not going to happen, I don't think, because 
I have a little bit of dignity left still as your pastor, amen, because I feel like after that Easter play, my, my dignity uh, treasure bank went down about half, amen, but we'll do anything, because Ish was supposed to do the soliloquy, and then Rachel, but they dropped out, so I had to do it, okay? Can I just get a little bit more mic, please? Here, here's the thing, and here's the reason why I say this now, is because, uh, just turn it down just a little bit, please, thank you, we're going to find a happy medium here. Let's give it up for a sound booth back there, amen, thank you. Here it is, because we don't understand what that means. My flesh has been crucified. We act as if we're our stomachs. We identify with our sin instead of Christ, even as Christians. And I feel Jesus would want to say to you, want to say to me, that's not who you are. You are not that desire. You're not an angry person. You are not a perverted person. When you are born again, you are a child of God. Now, this is the battle. This is the battle. Our battle, <laughs> hello, our battle is not even against the devil in this sense because the devil's already been defeated. Could the devil stop you from being born again? No, Jesus defeated him so you could be born again. Now that you're born again, do you think now it's like ding, 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 you and the devil? Oh, hold on. When you were born again, did Jesus have to come down and arm wrestle the devil? Or was it already the devil's defeated? You can come on in. Right? So now we think of it like, man, I couldn't do nothing for my salvation, and Jesus had to win it and make me more than a conqueror, and I believe that. But now that I'm a Christian, i got to help Jesus, and i got to get in the ring, and i got to fight the devil now. No, where is the battle? against your body of death. That's your battle. Now, does the devil influence your body of death? Does he send temptation and things that way and spiritual things that way and demons and all of that? Yes, but where does it all start? It's right there with that body of death. And Jesus is saying you can count it as crucified, put on the cross and dead. Now, now do you think something on the cross in this sense uh, is still alive? If you've been crucified past tense, are you still alive? Was Jesus still alive on the cross after he was crucified? So is that the way you look at your body? See, there the rubber meets, there's where your practical faith meets the rubber of your theological belief. Because it's great to say I mentally assert to that position. It's one thing to say, yes, I can somewhat believe that. But do you live that way? How many want to see some more scriptures? Are you ready? Go back to the notes, please. I'm going to get to the pictures. I think I might go there right now. I can see some of you all need some pictures. How many need some pictures right now to help this make this, make this plain? Amen. Scroll it all the way down, good sir. There's, there's the, the Revis from Peter, which we'll get into later if I have time. Okay, before Jesus, here's the picture. Scroll up, please. Here's what your life looks like before Jesus. That's that You're going too fast, but you gave it, you gave it away. Okay, stop right there. Scroll up. And, is it moving by itself? Got a mind of its own? Okay, thank you. Here we go. Before Jesus, your body, your brain, your organs, your five senses is called a body of death. Your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. Your spirit is what makes you alive. When, when Jesus was on the cross, we can look to him as an example of a spirit. Uh, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my 
spirit, and then he breathed his last breath and he dies. See, spirit is connected to your life. It's, it's, it's that place where we live. Now, if you want to understand the idea, and I have this in the introduction, of who you are, it's always a soul. You're always the soul, and the spirit is giving life. So I like to say it like this. You're a spiritual soul. How do I know your soul? In the book of Genesis, God says he breathed into us, and man became a living soul, a living being, a living, here's the Greek word, psyche. I did my best. Okay. And here is the spirit of the age. Here is that sinful life. It's on the inside of you. And that is what dictates and controls your life. Now let's go to the good part. What happens when I'm born again? Let's show them, guys. When I'm born again, boom shakalaka, the Holy Spirit makes me new and penetrates what? My spiritual life and who I am in my mind, will, and emotions. That's the new creation. Half of you like the pictures, the rest of you don't like it. What's going on? Come on. Are you all excited about this? Okay, now look, at, now look at the battle. Here comes the battle. Here comes the battle. This is where we are today, and we're trying to figure it out. My spiritual soul is against a body of death. But is my body of death, is it another me? No. It is a body it does not have its own mind, will, and emotions. It is an inanimate object, but yet it produces desires. Now, how do we understand this? We can look at it scientifically in the sense that living organisms can desire food, like by instinct, a bird can desire food, and it sees all the little seeds are going away and all the little plants are dying here. So what's that little bird going to do right now? It's going to fly south for the winter. Now, does that bird have a mind? No, it may have a little brain and a little physical desire, and the little physical desire and the brain talk to each other with chemicals, and it makes it do what it does. That's all your body is doing right now. It does not have another mind within itself. It's not like you're here and the little little head is right here and this is your flesh. You know, like a little sick head right here. You're like a little, uh, you know what I'm talking about, like a little person growing out of you. And like, this is me, and then here's my, here's my me body No, there is no other you in your body. You are in the tent of your body, and your body is a tent. But it is a living tent, so it gives signals to your soul. It communicates memories. Your brain communicates memories. If they monkeyed around with your brain, you would lose those memories. And what happens in Alzheimer's? You lose those memories. But once the person sheds their body and goes to heaven, is Alzheimer's still in effect? See, bing, somebody just got it right there, didn't you? See, you're still thinking you're your memories, and you don't understand. In 50 years from now, those memories will be so fleeting from you, you'll be drinking uh, uh, blended-up uh, carrots and spilling it over yourself, calling your children the cleaning man's name or the janitor's name that you worked with when you were at, at, at a school uh, being a janitor. Are you listening to me? I got a little complex on that example, but I want to say it slowly. You will be sitting down in a nursing home. Pretend you used to have a job as a janitor. Your children will come to say hi to you. You'll be eating straw. Uh, you'll be eating ground up carrots from a straw. Your son will come in. Your son. This is sad, but it's funny. But get it. It's, I want the point more than I want the laugh. Are you with me? You'll see your son, and you'll call them Gary, the guy you used to work with as a janitor in school when you were in your 20s and 30s. Are you with me? 
Why will that scenario happen to you as it happened? I, I, I kept a lot of the details the same, but I changed it with my grandmother. That's how it was when I saw her. Why? Because her brain was not functioning anymore. She couldn't have those memories anymore. But once she died and she shed the body, did she have memories of where she used to work? Did she then have memories of who she was and what she used to do and who her children were? When my grandmother died, did her soul remember things, yes or no? Yes. So why does the soul now not remember things in the, old, uh, the Alzheimer's, whatever, dementia person? Because the body is dying. And God connected us to our bodies, though we are not our body. Now watch the illustration for you. You forget about God. You forget what Jesus did in your life, and you act like a sinner, and you act like this is who you are, but yet you come to this church, you've read this Bible, you have these scriptures, some of you were taught like this, and yet you have spiritual amnesia, spiritual Alzheimer's, and God is trying to wake you up and say, there's a new person on the inside there, and I want you to know this is who I am. I'm your Lord and Savior, not your sin buddy. I'm not here to be your sin buddy. I'm here to be your Savior. I changed you. And another example, I'm trying to give you all a lot of examples. hope they're not confusing you, but rather clarifying. If they do confuse you, look up at the simple picture again, please. Um, Because if you don't understand that you're fighting against your body, you're not going to understand why Jesus has to resurrect your body. See, some people don't understand why the body needs to be resurrected. Why can't we just be souls and spirits living off somewhere in ethereal land? Why can't we just be floating around? Because God made us in his image, and he made that image to be in a tent, and he wants us to be physical creatures, not just spiritual creatures. He made us as he made Adam and Eve perfect. They were naked, didn't even recognize their own genitalia, the Bible says. They didn't even know that it was unclean until they sinned and the light went out. And then they recognized they were naked and they tried to cover themselves. God is trying to get us back, not trying, he is, getting us back to that place. And how does it start? It starts first with the inner transformation and then the physical transformation. Can I get an amen? So what do we do now? We allow the Holy Spirit with the fruits, the love, joy, peace, patience stuff that we read about, with the gifts, tongues, and interpretation of tongues, with the power of God, the energy. Actually, in the Bible, it calls it energy on the inside of us. We use the Holy Spirit and uh, infuse ourselves with the Holy Spirit to conquer the flesh, keep it conquered, and live as if it is crucified. And what is that flesh? It is our physical memories in our brain. It is our physical stimulations. How many know what a pheromone is? Does anybody know what a pheromone is? It's something a part of your chemical reaction in sex. They could say that if they give you a certain pheromone, you'll get turned on. Now, those of us here are Christians say, man, I love Jesus. I guarantee you we start having stripper poles up here, gentlemen. And no matter how much you love Jesus, there's going to be some things going on with your physical body. 
Now, this is where the Buddhist philosophy comes in and says, we're going to change our minds so much that we'll subject our physical body to all these crazy things, you know, kneeling and, and sitting for hours, and we'll walk on rice paper. But you know what they did? They, they, they put uh, the scans on the brain of these monks to, say, uh, to see what their brains looked like when they were doing all this meditation. Do you think their brains were clear, or do you think their brains had extreme amount of activity? It was actually extreme amount of activity. What they call clear is just them thinking, I'm not thinking, I'm not thinking, I'm not thinking. That doesn't tell me. That doesn't tell me. It's just self-denial. You understand. It's not being real with who they are. No, you're still tempted, Father Tom. I don't care how much you live in that monastery. You're still tempted, Bruce Lee, and I don't care if you can walk on rice paper. I don't care. You're still tempted. You're just telling yourself, I'm not tempted, I'm not tempted, I'm not tempted. And what about the Christian? Why would we be the same way? Because we're in a sinful body. But why won't we act on it? Because we keep telling ourselves, I'm not going to act on it, I'm not going to act on it. We won't act on it because we're being led by the Spirit. We're being empowered by the Spirit. That's why we're not just doing behavior modification. We're living as actually of who we are. And let me just give this last example so some of you could see this. Uh, I, I, I think it happened in uh, the Princess Diaries. Was she actually born into that royal family? Okay, and then they, they needed an heir, and they went looking for her. And she, Okay, that is what makes my story right. Anybody remember the story, the story Princess Diaries? Okay, and, and there's a lot of movies like this, but here's the main point of that. She doesn't know who she is. That's the whole point. Anybody remember coming to America? Maybe I should oh, wow, I should have started there. I should have started there. And what does he do? What does Eddie Murphy do in coming to America? He pretends not to be a prince, to work in the McDonald's or McDowell's to win the love of someone. Then when his father comes, he looks at him in shock. Why are you living like this? You're really a prince. Come on, I will preach it up in here. I will preach coming to America like it's right in the (laughs) B-I-B-L-E. Well, is that not the same problem with the prodigal son? He's the son of a rich businessman, yet he's here eating with the pigs. You see, we let things change our identity. And God is saying, this is who you really are. Live the way I made you to live. Amen. Let's go to the last slide here. Rachel, would you come, please? Oh, praise God. So how do we win? We win through the mind of Christ. See, your soul possesses a mind. It utilizes your brain. I could actually show you from a Nobel Peace uh, Prize winning scientist studying neurology that believes this and believes he can show some things that prove we are souls that live inside or souls that use our brain. Think of a car. A car has a physical body as well, right? But yet you'll be in the car and you'll control it. This neurologist, as well as the Christian belief, believes that your body is the physical place that your spirit lives in. And it uses the mind, it uses the physical body to do things, but yet it's it's not you. You are controlling the body. Now watch this. With all this said and done, I hope you believe it. I asked you at the very beginning, do you believe it? I gave you some theology on it. I exegete, what that means exegete is I go verse by verse through the book of Peter to help you see this more. But let's say you agree with all of this. You go, okay, pastor, I get it. I'm a new person. I get it. I'm a new person. 
I get that my body is sinful and that my, I'm not my body. I get it. Theologically, I'm not my body, and I am a new person. So how do I live without sin? How do I pre- please God? How do I live victorious? That's a good question, right? Like, how do I now do this? You do it through the mind of Christ. Because you are not now God's robot. When he made you new, he did not make you an identical, identical person like him. And that's sometimes what we think in, uh, people think rather, in New Age, is that we're somehow all a part of this cosmic, uh, does anybody remember um, Avatar? Does anybody remember Avatar? Does anybody remember at the end how they go to that big tree and there's all those lights that go to that big tree? See, some people think the big tree is God. That's what they were trying to talk about there, okay? And that God connects to all of us and that we're all God and yet together we make God who he is. So God is not God unless we're all together forming that little cosmic connection. I don't want to confuse you here, but some people think that way. That's not true. That's not the Christian identity. The Christian identity is that you are separate from God, but yet God gave you his godliness. God made you godly. The Bible says you are partakers in the divine nature. Would anybody want to see that? Would anybody want to see that? Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, please. Did you know that you are a partaker in the divine nature? Does it say you're a partaker in your sinful self? No, you are a partaker in the divine nature. I'm parking here and I'm coming down for a close. Come on. Just scroll right up here. I want you to see this. Verse 3. His divine power. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us some things we need. So, is that what it says? His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Whoa, I get excited. I ain't even playing right now. I feel Jesus. Woo, thank you, Lord. I don't have to wonder where my source of godliness comes from. I already got everything I need. You already got it in Christ today, saints. Hallelujah. The devil's work is to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil and give you life, life abundantly. Oh, thank Jesus for your word. Everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him. How did I say you get this? By the mind of Christ, it's your knowledge of him. It's your trust in who he is and what he said. And he did this for why? His own glory, his own goodness. God doesn't get glory out of us living sinful lives. God doesn't get glory out of us being defeated by the devil, being a contradiction to our own identity. God doesn't get glory out of Eddie Murphy working at McDowell's. God made us for glory. He made us to be more than conquerors. He made us to be holy. He wants us to be who he called us to be. 
And the Bible says, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises. I believe there's a new body for me in heaven. I believe there's a judgment to come. I believe there's healing for all. I believe everything is made new upon this earth. Those promises are great and precious. And the Bible says he gives them to us so that we may participate in the divine nature having escaped I'm out of here Jack escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires this body can't hold me down not on judgment day when he comes to give me a new one and it can't hold me down now because I'm participating with the very nature of Christ I am not another little Christ. I am not a branch just uh, getting his, his divine nature, and that branch makes me divine. No, but I am a branch connected to the divine one, and his divine attributes are shared with me, and those attributes are holy, love, and peace, and all those good things. Woo! I get excited. Do you want to escape the corruption of the world? Do you want to escape it? Hit the eject button. I'm out of here. You can do it now. Right now, participate with God. Participate. Why? Because you have a free will. You have a mind to choose. You are not his little robot. When temptation comes, you can say no. Go back to the illustration, please. Thank you, Jesus. Time stood still. I've got five minutes before we go out of here. That was amazing. It's the mind of Christ. It's my choice. I'll just close with this. And I'm going to preach it next week by God's grace. And this is what I closed with last week. So I'm going to hopefully get to it you know, next week. Here it is. When temptation came to Adam and Eve and temptation came to Jesus, what was going on there? Watch. Get this. Come on. Did Jesus have a sinful body? No. That's why he had to be born of a virgin. Does everybody get that? That's why he had to be born of a virgin so that he could come and die on the cross for us. Now watch this. Did Adam and Eve have a sinful body when they were first created? Okay. So temptation came to where? Their mind. Your body's still sinful, but yet you're new on the inside. So where is temptation going to come from you to you? The body to the mind. The body to the mind. See, Adam and Eve did not have the body, so it was only the mind. It was only the mind. But you have a sinful body. But the body, how, how do you have feelings? It goes to the brain. It comes to the mind then as a temptation to your soul. So watch this. What does Satan tempt Adam and Eve with? What's the first thing out of his mouth? Did God say... So what is the first thing the devil is going to come at you with once you are a Christian, believing you're participating in the divine nature of Christ? He's going to say, did God really say that? Did God really tell you you're a new person? Does 2 Corinthians 5.17 really mean that? When the devil came to Satan, Jesus had a pure body, born of a virgin, just like Adam and Eve. He's called the second Adam in Romans. So the devil goes directly to his mind, doesn't have to go through his body, goes directly to his mind. And when he tempts Jesus, what's the first thing he says to Jesus? If you are the... 
So what's the next thing the devil's going to get you to do after he gets you to question God's word? Second thing is to what? Question who you are. Did God really say you're a new creation? Because it doesn't look like you're really a child of God participating in divine righteousness, divine godliness. So how do we win? How did Adam and Eve lose? Adam and Eve lost the same way we lose when we listen to the devil over God's word. How did Jesus win? Jesus said, it is written, devil. You shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He defeated the temptation with the word of God. How do we defeat our temptation? How are we delivered from the paths of evil and to the paths of righteousness whenever those temptations come? We are delivered by the word of God. It is through those very great and precious promises that we escape the corruption of this world and we participate in the divine nature. So what does that mean? I believe who he said I am and I believe I can do what he said I can do. I believe who he said I am and I believe I can do what he said I can do. If you believe it, would you stand up and give him a hand clap of praise? Come on, it's all about Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Would you give him 30 seconds of praise? Band, would you come? come 15 more seconds. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for a new life. It's all about you, God. Hallelujah. Woo. Hallelujah. The enemy's been defeated. Woo. If you believe it, can I hear you say amen? Amen. Altar workers, would you come and let's close in prayer. Father, we come in the mighty name of Jesus. And we ask you to confirm your word. Confirm your word in this place, Jesus. Confirm your word, oh God. Come on, in an attitude of prayer, every head bowed and eyes closed. If you have not been born again, made new on the inside, a new creation, a new person, would you ask Jesus to do it right now? Come on, saints, pray for those in this place who don't know Jesus right now. Come on. Just do it by yourself. We're not going to call you up here. Just do it. Just say, Jesus, make me new. Forgive me of my sin. I believe in you, and I want to live the new life. Saints, pray with me right now. There's got to be a few in this room right now that need to be born again. If you're here today and you've been born again, but you you have not been living like a Christian, you have not been living like a saint, you have not been participating in the righteousness and godliness of God, would you repent right now for whatever it is that you've been doing? Come on, make it right. Say, Jesus, forgive me. Wash me clean. See, now you understand those words. When we're already Christians and we're sinning, we say, wash us clean. Make us holy again. Come on, saints, if you've been living in sin, confess it. Get right with God. He loves you. He's got a plan for you. He destines you to fulfill his purpose, participating in godliness. And lastly, right now, which should be everybody, if you're saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, just raise up your hands right now and just begin to ask the Lord to lead and guide you. For those who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. Ask for the mind of Christ. Meditate and proclaim those promises over your life right now. Come on, saints, we can agree upon this before we go. 
If your marriage has been in turmoil, speak life. What God has joined together, no one will tear it apart. Not even me, not even my wife or husband. We will live holy. Come on, if you've been struggling in addiction or fighting temptation, speak it out. I am more than a conqueror. Greater is he that lives in me than he that lives in the world. Hallelujah. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Hallelujah. Come on, speak words of life over your mind today. Choose Jesus today. Do you believe what he said? Do you believe that he is who he is and that you are who he said you are? Come on, 15 more seconds right now, saints, across this room. Prepare your mind for action, the Bible says. Be sober-minded. Be vigilant, because your dev- the devil, your enemy, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Who does he want to devour? Those who step out of the mind of Christ and put their mind on the things of the flesh and of the body. Come on, saints, guard your mind. Guard the treasure within your heart, for out of it is the wellspring of life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We are free. Jesus set us free. And we will live free. Just in your own words, would you place your hand over your heart? See, it's an earthly heart, but it represents our spiritual heart. The Bible uses that language to speak to us. So just put your hand over your earthly heart, representing your spiritual heart, which is really your soul. And just say this with me, Jesus. I will love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and with all my strength. And I will love my neighbor as myself. Help me, Jesus, to keep that promise. There it is. That's the two greatest commandments. You have dedicated your life to it. It's time to get out and get ready to do it. Lord, we pray now as we leave out of here, no one leaves the same way they came in. That we all leave out of here knowing who we are and doing what you told us to do. And then may we bring this gospel message to others to preach to them, to tell them that Jesus died on the cross so their sins might be forgiven and they might be made a new creation. Let us just confess this scripture before I say amen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, the old ha- uh, they are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Jesus, bless your people. And can everybody say amen? Can you bless him one more time? He's blessed us. Amen. You are dismissed. God bless you. If you need prayer, we're up.